0: So we're in uh, the back part of John 15. If you've not been with us or this is your first time with us, um, we are in the book of John. I think we've been in the book of John for the last 37 years, and so we'll wrap it up in the next lifetime, but... Um, as we do that, we're journeying through. We don't, we're not picking and choosing what we uh, are, are saying on Sunday mornings. Instead, we're submitting to Scripture and whatever Jesus is saying, that's what we're gonna then relay to us in any given week. And so today, as we continue to journey through John, I wanted to remind everyone what the purpose of John is. We do this every week. We, we, we start our sermons with the same thing every week and we end our sermons the same way every week. The start of it is to remind you of the purpose of the book of John. And it comes right out of the Bible itself. It's right there in John chapter 20, verse 31. All these things that, were, that are written down were written down so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the sent one from God. He is the Son of God. And that by believing that, you may have life. These things were written so that we may have life and there is life to be had in this passage today because Jesus has set An ominous tone after this command to abide in him, right? And then to love our brethren, to truly lay down our lives for our friends, as Jesus has done that for us. And then today, we enter into a hostile environment. And that can be very fearful for many of us. It can be uh, intimidating for most of us. And the reason why it's intimidating, the reason why it's fearful, I would say, is because when we talk about the Christian life, we don't talk enough about the dangers that Jesus has set us to encounter. Instead, we're usually at home, we're talking about, at least in my house, I'm just gonna speak for myself, in my house, we're talking about how can we get better with that throw? How can we get better with that, with that batting stance right now? Like it's the spring season. Apparently you get sunburned when it's overcast, but that's what we do right now. And so you're at softball, you're at baseball, you're at soccer, and that's a lot of your conversation right now in your family. At least it's in mine. I'm just gonna go first, right? And so we're talking more about sports or perhaps surviving a hectic job that you might have, but I'll bet you no matter what the nitty-gritty is of that conversation, thank you, Nacho Libre fans, no matter what the nitty-gritty is of that conversation, there's two things probably going into your mind m- around most conversations. Number one is security. It's retirement, it's what's in our savings account. It's spending uh, you know, the right amount of money on the right certain things. Or it's security, it could also be safety the safety of your children as they go across the street, that we would be careful driving. My wife went to Austin and back yesterday, and all I could do is pray for her safety. Lord, just help her out. Babe, be careful going there. Be careful coming home. There's a concern for safety. Don't do anything foolish. And I just say this, like safety is important, but if we are going to be a people who love Jesus with all of our lives in increasing measure, we're gonna have to put safety down in order to follow our savior. And that's the challenge that Jesus is gonna put before us. Maybe not necessarily physical safety, although that day could come, or you could go find that world in a different country, but perhaps it's relational safety, things that we've been holding on to, and that's what Jesus is gonna challenge us with, particularly at the end of John 15. You see, our heritage is full of men and women who put their neck on the line to preserve this word, for you. Our heritage as Christians are full of men and women who have put their neck on the line, who have been burned at the stake to make sure we have the true gospel message, which is that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. That's it through the works of Jesus and not on our behalf. There are people that truly we will meet in heaven and we will see their scars that have been made new. And when we see them, we'll be reminded of the sacrifice that they put down, not just as Jesus did, but also the many other people that have gone before us, laying down their literal lives so that we might live. Safety has never been a priority for the people of God in our heritage. Instead, they have willingly laid down their life so that others might receive life. For us, somehow safety has become the top conversation in most of our uh, dinner table, uh, in our prayers, certainly in how we live, even if it's subconscious. And so today, uh, Jesus is orienting us towards a hostile relationship with the world around us. And throughout the book of John, uh, he uses the world a lot. Jesus was sent to save the world. There's a scholar, his name is D.A. Carson. He would define the world because we have to understand what the world is. It's this created moral order that is in active rebellion against God. I want you to hear that. The world is in active rebellion against God. So if we go out there as ambassadors for Christ and we're planting the flag for Jesus, are they gonna be happy about that? if they're act active rebellion against God. No, it can't be. It's in their nature to not be excited about the light that just got shown on the darkness. It's in their nature. They have no other way to react other than what their nature is, and they are in active rebellion against God. So, the reality is this though, right, is that throughout scripture, God describes a normal experience for those who follow him to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And I just want you to hear me on this. Tension with the world is normal for fruit-bearing Christians. It is a normative experience in the scriptures that we would experience some pushback in the world as fruit-bearing Christians. That's what Jesus is reminding us of today. So to introduce us to this, there are five ways that we engage The world. This is just introductory. I'm going to go through this super quick. So just hang tight, okay? Five ways that we have engaged the world. We engage the world of those that are in it and of it. We're in the world and we're of the world. This is the disciple that shows up at the party with his own six pack and enjoys just 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 affirms Jesus, but really doesn't care much about growing in Jesus. Right, this is that, that type of disciple. They're in the world and they're of the world. They haven't really separated themselves and they're pretty good with whatever the world has to do and they wanna fit into that. So number two, they're not in the world but they're also of the world. They're not in the world but they're of the world. So these are the people that are not in the, they're not polluted by the world's practices, right? But they are of the world, they're really nice people for the sake of being really nice people. There's those, number three, that are not in the world or of the world. These are the religious zealots, right? This is like uh, the Pharisees. Like they're not in the world and they're not of the world. They're separated. They're not gonna be polluted by that. They're religious about being religious. I got a letter today that told me all the reasons why this organization is wrong and false prophets and false teachers. And I just thought, man, they fit right there in number three. They're not in the world, but they're also not of the world. And then this is the one we've probably lived in and heard the most, that we would be in the world but not of the world. You've heard that, go be in the world, but not of the world. But this is like uh, wearing camouflage, right? This is the people that go into the world, the workplace, and you just blend in, hoping for someone to take notice that you're really good. So we put on our camouflage and we live really ethical, upright Christian lives, but we do not rock the boat. There's a fifth way that I think God's calling us to. Not to just live in the world and of the world, but to be called out of the world. You are from the world. That's you and me. If we call upon Christ as Lord and Savior, we've been called out from the world and then sent right back to it. Not to blend in. We can't blend in, right? Because the world is, in cre- it's, a, it's an a- active rebellion against God. If it's an active rebellion against God, then Christians can't go blend into that. We can't. We're gonna try. We're gonna hope that someone notices us. But we can't blend into that because, in, in fact, it's, it's rebellion. And God is calling us to be out of the world, be plucked right out of that that God has pulled us out, and then to go set, be sent right back in. So how do we engage in a healthy way with a world that is hostile to Jesus? First thing we gotta do is realize this. We are a sent people. So be sent and be prepared for trouble. I wanna to start today by reading 16.1, which is right in the middle of all of this. John 16, verse one, he says all this, right? He says, I have said all these things to you that the world's gonna hate you, that if you're doing this thing right, if you're bearing the fruit of being connected with the vine, the world's gonna hate you. I've, I've said all these things to you in 16.1, so that to keep you from falling away. Jesus prepared his disciples for trouble, for the trouble ahead because he loves them and he loves us. Parents warn their children of the dangers of a busy street. Friends warn another, uh, one another of the habits that are not Christ-like. Warnings are statement of caution rooted in love for another. And Jesus is sounding the alarms for us and saying it's gonna be hard, but I'm telling you this so that you will not stray. Jesus warns Christians of our impending rejection by the world, but the warning behind the warning is to ensure that we do not shrink back, that we do not fall away from this trouble that he's sending us into, and that we do not disengage. Isn't that our temptation? See, he wants, us to keep, he wants to keep us steady, right? He's, he's telling us, I want you to be steadfast in the way ahead. I don't want you to fall away from this. Instead, I want you to lean into these realities that there will be trouble. Don't shrink back, don't fall away, don't disengage, stay in the fight. He wants to keep us that way, but you notice what he's not doing? He's not keeping us safe. I want you to see that, suburban Christians? He's not sending you in the fight and promising that you're gonna make it out. Matter of fact, at the end of this, he's gonna tell you they're gonna think they're doing a service to God when they put you to death. It may end in such peril. That's never guaranteed for us. We can't get into this kind of dichotomous thinking and the thinking like, if I do good, then God's gonna reward me, or if I do bad, then God's gonna take away reward. See, I think that's kind of the trouble that's put before us. Um, but as long as we pursue uh, safety as our number one thing, we will miss God's purpose for our lives. The Bible normalizes suffering as part of being a sent out missionary to a rebellious world. We see this in uh, when, when, when Jesus calls Saul, in Acts nine, right? If you don't know that full call, it's gonna come up right now. In Acts nine, verse 15 and 16, look at what Jesus says to Saul when he pulls him into his kingdom. He's not saying, and all your dreams will come true. I just want you to just see what he's saying. But the Lord said to Saul, go. Excuse me, to Ananias. Go, for he has chosen an instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him, God is telling Ananias, I apologize, that was a bad setup. So this guy named Ananias, God's repeating, uh, revealing to himself to Ananias to go and talk to Saul. And as he goes to talk to Saul, he's telling Ananias, this is how it's going to be for Saul. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Paul's call to ministry, to the Christian life, is a call to represent Jesus and to suffer for the name of Jesus. And if you think, well, that's just for Paul and not for me, we had a partnership class yesterday. And we started it off with these rosy words from Paul in Philippians 1, 29 to 30. Jesus said, or Paul says this, God says this to us, for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you would not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. There is an engagement in the world that will produce some conflict for us that's really hard for us to lean into. But it is a gift that we would suffer for the name of Jesus. So one more verse in all this. It's 2 Timothy 3, 12. I didn't put that in my notes. Joseph, will you pull that up? So the idea here is that we would simply avoid suffering or that suffering carries with it the idea that we've done something wrong, but that's incomplete. Sometimes we suffer because we are doing what is right. Just look at this passage from 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. It's not up behind me, there we go, there you go. Indeed, it says all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus might be persecuted, could be, maybe, will be persecuted. Will we desire to live a godly life? We all want to live a godly life. That's why you're here today. You want to be equipped in how to live a life according to the scriptures, a godly life in Christ. And Jesus is telling us all throughout the New Testament, if that's our heart's desire, there will be trouble and you will be persecuted. It's not a matter of if It is a matter of when and how severe it's going to be. I haven't been flogged in my life, but Paul was. There's been times, like ask Josue about his first trip to India when a dude approached him with a machete and just started yelling at him in Hindi. And Beat came to his rescue and said, hey bro, you need to get out of here. I'll take this. He stepped in front of our friend Josue and talked the dude down from whatever he was trying to do with a machete in his hand. Ask Aaron about the time, the first time that he went to India when he sat in a hotel room and all night long they just beat on the door trying to get in. It's real life. These are people in this church that you can go and confirm all these stories with. See, that's what it means to be a sent out people of God. And we may not see that here in the suburbs, but this is normative. This was normative for those first century Christians. So Jesus is challenging us. If we're going to follow Jesus, we cannot blend in. The true challenge is whether or not we will cherish their approval, the world's approval, or God's approval. Look at verse 19 of uh, chapter 15. I'll read 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you, aka, hey, if you blend in with the world, you're going to get along just pleasantly with them. They're going to love you, but you're not of the world, he says. But because you are not of the world, but I plucked you, I chose you out of the world, therefore, my beloved chosen ones, the world hates you. It's ominous to be sure, but there is challenge here and an encouragement here that God is calling us to live according to his approval and not the approval of of the world around us. And the pressure will ramp up so much that they will push us out. For the Jews at the time, they will push them out of the synagogues. This idea in verse two of chapter 16, they will put you out of the synagogues and indeed the hour was coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. This idea that they were expelled from the synagogue was basically they cut them off from their family, from their friends, From all their identity in their culture, they would just cut them off and be like, you can really only hang out with a few people. You're not allowed to worship here anymore. What an insane thought, and yet that would be exactly what they were doing. You saw that all throughout the Gospels. There's this constant threat. We're gonna put you out of the synagogue. We're gonna put you out. We're gonna put you out. And Jesus is saying, this is going to happen for some of us. We will uh, have to sacrifice our most precious relationships We may lose those along the way as we pursue Jesus. But Jesus says this for us, a reminder that we are chosen to bear fruit, an eternal fruit that will last if we would uh, remain in the vine. And for Jesus, that fruit is is beautiful to him when he sees that in our lives. And for the world around us, that's just gonna remind them of the stench of death Like that's the reality of what's happening in here. And so I would say this for us, pay no mind to the world's reaction to our faithfulness. Pay no mind to the world's reaction to our faithfulness and our fruitfulness to Jesus. They don't get it. And we should be bursting with compassion because they can't see it any other way. The Bible says that they are blinded by the ruler of this age who is Satan. If they could, they would see it and they would celebrate, but they can't. So pay no mind to their reactions and said, Jesus is clear. Your rejection by the world will only highlight for you and for me the love of God who will never betray you. He will never change his mind about you. This is good news for me. As a recovering people pleaser, you might think, yeah, right. You ever were a person that tried to please people? (laughs) Yes. Yes. As a recovering people pleaser, what I, what, I, what I finally figured out what God finally revealed, revealed to me was I can get everybody's approval and the next day they could change their mind of me. The next day. It's just, it was just like a vapor. It could just disappear. I could dance. I could jump that high. I could perform this well. I can do whatever it is. But they could wake up in a bad mood and be like, yeah, I still don't like you, bro. Or I just do all those things and they still don't like me. But if if we're gonna follow Jesus, there is this beautiful assurance that he will never change his mind about you, particularly if you're a child of God and he will not change his mind about you dependent upon your performance. He's for you. He has a posture to bless you and his generosity will never be outdone in the midst of all this persecution. No, he will never change his mind about you or ask you to do certain things in order to be accepted by him, but will love you where you are, bring you to where he wants you to be, and he will beckon you to joy. What beautiful news there is, and so that's that's discouraging that we're gonna find trouble, that the world's gonna hate us, that we might lose even our lives for following Jesus, so how in the world can we stay encouraged on this journey? We gotta understand the bigger picture. Understanding the bigger picture will help us realize they don't really hate us, they hate Jesus. They hate Jesus in us. So if we're gonna engage our neighborhoods, our networks, and the nations with any sort of certainty, we gotta remember this bigger picture that the world hates you because they hate Jesus. That's what it says in verses 18 to 20. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world and I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember in verse 20, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. There is this hatred of us because we love Jesus and they hate him. In John 7:7, he said this, they hate me because I came to testify to the world of their evil deeds. General Jesus told everybody they were evil when they were here. So it's no wonder that they put him on the cross and it's also no wonder if they did it for him, they're gonna do some similar things to us. This is broader picture stuff, but the world doesn't just hate us because we love Jesus. They also hate Jesus and hate us because they hate God the Father. Verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He is not going to let them wiggle off the hook. Whoever hates me hates my father. If, I'd done no, if I had done none among them the works that no one else did, you can see the miracles, how he healed people, how he continued to provide food and wine for thousands If I had not done any of those things, they would not be guilty of sin. But now, they have seen that, they've looked at all of my life, and they hate both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. See, this bigger picture helps us understand that righteous living is going to cause a stir. We can't just put on the camouflage and hope to blend in, and at the same time win the world over for Jesus you can do one or the other. You can blend in, but you're gonna have a hard time winning the world over for Jesus. Instead, you can go into the world, but you're going to ultimately be sent out and stand up for whatever it is that God wants you to stand up for in that moment. Righteous living does two things. Number one, it pleases the Father. That's what Jesus set out to do earlier on in John 15. He says, everything I do is to to please the Father. That's the first thing it does. But when we please the Father, because the world is an act of rebellion against the Father, it incites the world into anger. You guys see this? We please our Father. and When we please our Father, everybody else gets mad. Like, why are you living that way? Here's the theological reality behind all that. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16 would say this, that when we roll in anywhere, we bring with us the aroma of Christ. We are the aroma of, we, st- we stink like Jesus. Like we just put on cologne and it's just Jesus or perfume or whatever it is, and we roll into any given situation, the rodeo right now, we roll into any given situation, right? We stink like Jesus. We can't cover it up. We can't put enough mud on us to cover up Jesus just because we want to go blend in and act like they do. Instead, we smell like Jesus. We're just putting off an aroma of Jesus. Keep that up. Keep that up, Joseph. Look, this is what happens, right? For the aroma of Christ to, the, to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Next verse, look at what it does. To the one being said, to the one being that is perishing, we are a stench of death. We're reminding them that they have no hope. We're reminding them that they're in rebellion. No wonder they hate us. But when we roll in and we smell like Jesus to other Christians, what do we do? We remind them of the life that they have. And they then remind us that it's worth it. My prayer is that we would have those types of experiences where we go into the world, not because like they're the world and they're evil, but because God sent his son to save that world and then he sends us out as witnesses to that world. And I'll get to that in just a second, but look at what he says right there, right? Your holiness reveals the world's unholiness. You're gonna find trouble. Your love for Jesus highlights their hatred for Jesus. Your pursuit of good and God only reveals their pursuit of bad and evil. It's no wonder that he's telling us right here it's going to be troublesome. Is that your experience? Is it your experience that you've, you've found trouble this week standing for Jesus? Your experience that actually, when is the last time that you've found trouble because you're a Christian? This week, Chris was telling us in the pre meeting he just started a new job and he's taken off all this time off and he's kind of got this different rhythm than everyone else around him, and it's kind of challenging to the people that are there, including one of his. Uh, his managers and they're kind of asking him like dude why are you able to like just go home at any given time like you get here early and you leave early we get here early and we stay super late And he's like there's always going to be more fires to put out my family is more important than that I've got to put this thing down so I can put up what's more valuable to me and all of a sudden they're listening to him and starting to get like challenged by this reality and not yet realizing why but they're Also asking the question, aren't you real religious? That's all all they got. They can't see Jesus yet, they just see religion. So Chris has the opportunity that over the next however many years he works there, he gets the opportunity to to share the gospel with them slowly but surely, or maybe quickly. But he stands up for the values that he has and when he does so, he's challenging their values at the same time. And that brings trouble. Because on Monday, he could go back and they go, hey man, all your vacation time, canceled. We need you here. And it challenges them and they don't know why, but they wanna strike out because they should have the same values, but they don't. See, that's a beautiful picture. I know I didn't didn't ask you for your permission, sorry, uh, but I just told it. Um, uh, But it's a beautiful picture because it really is a beautiful picture of how we can all live. I've told somebody else, hey amen, like if, if you go get a job right now, it's going to take you away from your other pursuits of like church planting or, or serving this church or another church. Why don't you go into that job and when they ask you, uh, when they offer you like a hundred grand for whatever it is that you're going to do, tell them, hey, thank you for the hundred grand for five days a week. Why don't you just pay me 80 grand for four days a week so that I can be flexible to go do whatever it is that I want to go do? I thought that was a great idea. They didn't do it, I don't think, and maybe it maybe just went sideways and they didn't want to come back and tell me about it. But that's the kind of like priority to the faith that God's calling us towards. And when he does, it's going to ruffle some feathers. It's gonna cause even hatred to prioritize and to follow Jesus. But I, I again, ask the question, do we, do we experience trouble as Christians? Or do we hide from trouble? I think it's more likely that we are more tempted to hide from the trouble. That we set up kind of these castles of safety and security. I don't think that we have, I, don't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think any of you have put a sandwich board on you that says the end is near, repent. I don't think any of you have put the, the bullhorn the bull out at Pecan Grove Elementary and told all the children they're gonna burn. Like I don't think that's been your reality. But that has been the reality of our Christian heritage. Instead I think we're more tempted to shrink, to hold back, to be too quiet, to blend in. Our lives are crazy enough, stressful enough, we don't need any more conflict, we don't need any more trouble, so we blend in in the hope that someone, anyone, will pay attention long enough that they will notice our love for Jesus. Here's one problem with that today. This wasn't a problem 10 or 15 years ago, but here's the problem today. People aren't watching you. You know what they're watching? YouTube, looking at their phone. They're not wondering how it is that you're so moral and good and right and like joyful. They're checking out what their friends are doing and wondering why they can't have that life too. And so they're not looking at us. Instead, we've got to be bold. And that's why I asked Josue to say like unnecessary social media, because maybe your idea of social media is reaching your friends. Do it. For the glory of God, use social media to reach your friends. Be real on there, tell them all about Jesus on there, because they're looking at that, so praise God, go do it. But for many of us, that pulls us away from our devotion to Jesus. So now what? Our world is increasingly pluralistic and tolerant of all religions, and yet the gospel is exclusive. And if you and I are going to engage the world well, we'll have to risk rejection because we are accepted by our Father. We have to risk persecution because we we know that our Father is pleased with us. And we'll have to be bold in the face of our greatest friends turning on us. Knowing all these things, what is our hope? Our only help and our only hope is what David prayed as we started this sermon. And that is we have a helper. We have the advocate, the spirit of truth. Look at what Jesus says about the advocate, the Holy Spirit who lives in believers. Verse 26. When the Holy Spirit, the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Perhaps right now you're thinking, I could never Do this. I could never rock the boat. I could never live that kind of bold life to like ask for Fridays off with. I could never do that type of thing. I could never witness to my neighbor. I could never open my mouth and share the gospel with those that I want them to see Jesus. I could never do that. This is precisely why, in the midst of this trouble sandwich, Right? There's hatred in the world, and then the Holy Spirit's going to come, and oh, by the way, they're going to push you out of the synagogues. The Holy Spirit's right in the middle of all this. Why is that there? To bear witness about the truth. And the truth is this, that Jesus so has plucked you out of the world, brought you into relationship with him, and then to be sent out with the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. So sure you can do this. The Holy Spirit is in you. Of course you can do this because he is gonna testify to you and then you will testify to the world. The spirit of truth is bearing witness about Jesus to you. Amidst suffering, don't you ask questions like, Where are you? Why is this happening? Why me? Don't you care about my plight and about my situation in life? I ask these questions. Don't you care? Where are you? Why aren't you hurrying up with your rescue? And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, is testifying to you He's near, He's good, He's sovereign. So, we can ask this prayer, Holy Spirit, lead me into the truth about God. He's also testifying to you about you. He's not just testifying to you about Jesus, He's testifying to you about you amidst suffering. Don't you have questions like, Who am I? Why did I just do that? I mean, when you're struggling with sin, is that not the, one of the first things that happens? Why did I just do that? I know better than that. Am I, not, am I worthy to open my mouth? After all, look at my life. I'm not perfect for this. Of course you're worthy, not because you've perfected anything, but because he who is perfect has called you to represent him here on the earth. And so we can ask the Holy Spirit, Spirit, lead me not just into the truth about you, but lead me into the truth about myself. And then you listen to that truth, friends. You are a son or a daughter of God bought with the precious blood of the Lamb. "'Chosen before the foundation of the world "'to bear fruit as a branch of the true vine "'so that even through suffering "'I may have the joy which Jesus found in suffering, "'the pleasure, the acceptance, "'and the affection of my Father who never changes.'" In the midst of all this, the spirit of truth is bearing witness not just to you about God, not just to you about you, but also bearing witness to you about the world. We can ask questions when we get rejected. Why do they not understand? Did I not make it clear? Did I not love them long enough or well enough? Or how is it that we got to this situation? I mean, what is it that's going on? How can they act so harshly? Or why are they treating me like this? Perhaps I did something wrong. And I would just gently remind us, no friends. The spirit of truth testifying to you You just need to be reminded that when you ask the Spirit to lead you into the truth about the world, he will tell you these words. They hate you because they hate me. They hate you because they hate my Father. They aren't rejecting you. They are rejecting Jesus in you. And friends, this is a high honor. So the last passage I'll read for us and then we'll close is this. That of Luke 6. Look at what Jesus says about those who will be hated in this journey. Instead of shrinking back from, from the trouble and, and from the, the persecution and from the hatred, Jesus is saying, no, 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 friends, like let's, let's lean into this and engage appropriately, not because we're trying to be jerks to people and just shove the religion down their throat, but because we love them and we wanna invite them to follow Jesus. And he says, when you engage with that, you'll find trouble. And then he pronounces this blessing over us, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you you need to hear that today that you're excluded for the purpose of the gospel when they exclude you when they revile you when they spurn your name as evil when they misunderstand you and they call you terrible names behind your back on account of the son of man verse 23 rejoice in that day And leap for joy, not just rejoice, but leap for joy. Love it. For behold, look, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. This is nothing new. They persecuted the prophets too. If we stand for the King Jesus, we will find great reward in heaven. So perhaps you're here and you're beating yourself up for all the missed opportunities that you had this week. Perhaps that's you. You've not been hated by anyone since you've come to know Jesus. You've not stood your ground and you've not borne fruit for others to see or perhaps you've been hated by too many people. Ooh, this is me. You've been hated by too many people and you realize that you, Lance, has gotten in the way of Jesus. So they never got to see Jesus they just saw Lance and they hate that guy. No one else can stand in that, I guess. Perhaps you've hated, been hated by too many people and you realize you've gotten in the way of making the gospel clear. I want you hear the hear the good news to the believer. To the believer, Jesus did not come to condemn you but to give you eternal life. He does not judge you based on your performance but performs in your place on the cross and when he ascended into heaven he sent his spirit to bear witness to you that you are a son or a daughter of the God the king of the universe and your father is well pleased with you believer and to the non-believer there is good news for you as well Jesus didn't come to condemn you but to give you eternal life and he wants you to give up trying so hard and to come to him so you may have rest for your souls. Matthew 11. All you who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, come to me and find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's the call to the non-believer and for the believer alike. There will be trouble ahead. But we serve a God who prepares us for trouble with his promises and he sustains us in that trouble with his presence. Let's pray together. Father, that can be a hard message to receive that we will be hated, we will be rejected, we will be put out, we will be even killed for the name of Jesus. But there is a greater hope not of our comfort. There is a greater hope Christ so for anybody that's in here today and and, and there's two reactions number one I haven't done enough for Jesus and I would say like the pressure's off he's done everything for you just enjoy the freedom that he's provided and then to the other person that I haven't done enough for Jesus and the other person that, that that's that's there going man I've done everything for Jesus and still it's not working out the pressure's off there as well because the Christian life is not about trying hard and grinding it out. It is about finding our rest in what Christ has done for us. And out of that provision of our souls, may we engage the world. Not as people with Bibles that are ready just chasing people down, ready to beat people over the head with these truths. But as people who would be willing to sit down with them for lunch. Invite them over for dinner. Listen to their story. Listen to where they hurt. Listen to where there's deficiencies and what they believe about you. And then you just ask that question in that moment that we would just ask, Holy Spirit, lead me into the truth about yourself. Holy Spirit, lead me into the truth about this person. Holy Spirit, lead me into the truth about myself. Oh, that's right, I'm a witness. I'm a witness to the good works of Jesus. I don't have to shrink back from this. It's who I am So I can engage this in a beautiful way. We might invite people to follow Jesus, not because they can see it, not because they're gonna respond well, but because you've called us to do so. Would you help us find the hope in this, that the God of the universe lives inside of us by your spirit? Would you help us see that hope, live in that hope, For those of us that shrink back from trouble, for those of us that shrink back from following Jesus into the dark, remind us that we're not condemned. Remind us that we're further empowered. Remind us of who we are in Christ. We need you. We need your help. So Holy Spirit, lead us into the truth. In Christ's name, amen.